In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. There's still no excuse for not being able to win the battle. God tells us in James, he tells us to submit to God, but then I love the next line. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our co-host producer, and my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. Do you like that, Dale? How I did that? I like that. You got all high that pitched. Was, that like was a lady. good. I mean, like, like, like a lady. Anyway, uh, hey yeah, man, hey. Uh, before we get started, I want to encourage the guys listening. Guys, head on over to our website at manarena.org, and I've got a free copy, online copy of my bathroom book for men for you who haven't received that yet. That's only going to be up a couple more weeks. We got something really, really special coming your way. We want to tell tell you about a little bit later. But uh, I got to tell you, Dale, I'm really excited about today's guest, and here's why. When COVID-19 hit, it hit us around February. I remember I spoke in Burlington, Vermont at a men's event, and then the next two weeks later, I went to uh, Minnesota, and I was speaking over there, and the event got canceled when I got there, and that was like early March, and it's been a whirlwind since then, man. And you know what's been interesting? Uh, On our Men in the Arena forum we're hearing more and more from men who are really struggling with addictions that have surfaced since COVID hit and guys are in quarantine. Uh, It's triggering a lot of responses and and there are a lot of guys out there struggling, whether it's a porn addiction or a gambling addiction or an alcohol addiction or a tobacco addiction, whatever it may be, guys are really struggling during this pandemic. And we just wanted to bring an expert on and help them. And so before we bring our expert uh, on the show today, uh, did you have a man word? Yes, and this is a great one, and it is motivated. Oh, that's interesting. Why'd you pick that word? Well, I was just perusing through Jack's book collection, and I saw this at the very bottom of the list, and I went, oh, man, you know what? That is good. And with this topic we're talking about, man, you got to be motivated to want to make a change. you got to look at what could be if you stop doing something or started doing something and get motivated, um, do what you need to do to get that thing done. No, that's really good, man. Yeah. Uh, one of his books is actually called free for life at last. And so, you know, that's what you're talking about when you realize, Hey, I'm in bondage to, uh, agent X or whatever it may be. And I want to get free from that. There's a, you've got, there's got highly, you've got to be highly, highly motivated. And so, uh, I'm not an expert. I'm going to bring our guest on, Jack Allen Levine, and let him talk a little bit more about that. But before I do that, do you have a hero story? I, uh, every week we got guys writing in from all over the world uh, sharing about how God is using uh, our platform to change their lives and the lives of their families. So praise God for that. Have you heard from anybody recently? Well, I have this one from Angelo if you're from Kentucky, and uh, uh-huh. he had said that uh, Basically, when you're talking about the men in the roof, that 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 was incredibly fueling, and it was kind of like taking a burden and lifting it off of him. Wow! And uh, he doesn't have to carry that himself, and that was very huge for him. So, 
he knows he has to do his part, but uh, he's he knows that he's also harder on himself than God is on him, and so he just appreciates bringing that out. And so, yeah, that's Angelo hit us up, and we want to send you some swag, buddy. Wow, that's it. I had never read that one, Dale. That's really cool. That's really encouraging to to hear that. You know, I had a guy call me up recently say he got thrown off the roof by one of his men on the roof. So, <laughs> so sometimes it doesn't work out so well. We're referring to the story in Mark chapter that's two good. where Jesus heals a paralytic. So anyway, uh, you can refer back to that. So, hey, guys, want to bring on uh, our guest today and my new friend, Jack Allen Levine. He lives in Windermere, Florida with his beautiful wife, Beth, of 20 years of marriage. Now, you're going to notice really quickly that he's actually from New York, but he lives in, I'm assuming he's probably calls himself a New Yorker, even though he lives in Florida, but he'll, he can tell you that himself. So Jack has authored nine books, including My Addict, Your Addict, which we'll be discussing a little bit today, and his newest books, or his newest book, Addiction and Recovery Handbook. It'll be released just in a couple weeks here uh, in January. He's the creator of an online video program called Free for Life at Last for those struggling with addiction and their families and speaks frequently at churches and men's conferences on overcoming addiction. He currently serves as the executive pastor at his local church, among many other things. Jack, it is great to have you on the show. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. Uh, thank you so much. I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on today. I do consider myself a Floridian now. I think after 30 plus years, I've earned it. But as you can tell, my New York accent is with me. So you're going to have to suffer with it today. Oh, man, I love it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. How's the weather over there? Uh, beautiful, about 70 degrees. It was a little cold the last couple of days, dropped down to 40 and 50. We, we were shivering, but uh, I'm sure you have no sympathy on us. No, I'm staring at a beautiful day of about 43 degrees and getting ready to rain. But I did get back from Cancun last week. We spent our Christmas vacation down there. Our kids didn't want to do presents this year. They just want to do a family vacation, which was awesome. So I'm really excited about that. But hey, man, let's get back to you, man. Uh, in your, your book, My Attic, Your Attic, really was a book that you wrote about your story. And in that, you said, quote, I've gone through drug addiction and I've gone through gambling addiction. So can you tell us a little bit about your story so guys can have context when they're listening sure. to you speak healing over them? Amen. Sure. I'll give you the short version. Um, I was brought up in, in Yonkers, New York with very wonderful, loving parents. I had an older brother. Um, we were middle class, but my parents spoiled my brother and I rotten. So we pretty much had everything we wanted. At 16 years old, I started smoking pot. Um, I thought harmlessly at the time, and uh, I wanted to be a baseball player, but when you only play three months a year, you don't get to the Yankees. So I saw quickly that wasn't going to work out um, and set my sights on advertising in Madison Avenue. So I graduated high school a year early, not because I was smart. I took some extra classes. I wanted to get out of there and begin my life. I went to Syracuse University where I started partying even harder, got into Quaaludes, um, pot, a lot of pot, and then a couple of years in, got into cocaine which would eventually destroy me. Um, but I was still functioning, very high functioning. I actually graduated with a dual major from Syracuse University in advertising and sociology. I went to work on Madison Avenue for NWA and Bozell and Jacobs, some of the largest ad agencies in the world and some of the largest accounts, AT&T and the Army and DuPont. And I was a fast track Madison Avenue guy. And uh, I was shooting up the fast track. My drug addiction was getting worse and worse, but I was functioning. And um, it was interesting, Jim and Dale, because my head would hit the pillow at night and I, I would think that, you know, I've got everything by the world standards. I, I've got money. I had girlfriends. I was doing drugs. I was gambling. I was partying, anything you could think of. And uh, I hit the, my head would hit the pillow at night and I'd say, my life sucks. And, hmm. and I said, there's got to be more to life than this. I did not know God at that point in my life. I, I thought there was a God, but I didn't know God. God was Jesus. And I just went on and, you know, the drug addiction started spiraling more and more. You know, when I, when I was a young man, it was easy to bounce back. Uh, in college, uh, uh, and I'm not bragging about this, but we're sharing from a perspective standpoint. In college, yeah. I'd do an eighth or quarter ounce of cocaine, stay up, you know, for 24 hours and bounce back a day or two later. The older I got, it took more and more wear and tear on my body and spiritually and emotionally. Um, what the drugs in, in do to you spiritually is probably worse, worse than what they do to you physically. So on I went. Um, I moved down to Florida to try and get away from my drug addiction. Um, you know, that was in the early 80s. And uh, I thought if I had a new start, well, of course, the 
the you know problem isn't uh, ge- geographical; it's internal. And the drug addiction stayed with me. And finally, it just got to be too much. I was 33 years old, and I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I was brought up Jewish, so I never went to church. Nobody ever handed me a Bible. Nobody ever told me, Jack, you need to believe in Jesus. Jesus just started knocking on my heart one day. And after a couple of months of of searching and reading, I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. My life got better every day since then. The but, guys, is I didn't give up drugs for three more years. I want to tell you, I was radically saved. I believe had I died at any point in that time, I would go to heaven. But my drug addiction still had me, and I didn't want to give it up. God was working area on area of my life, but I didn't want to give up the addiction. Now, now here's the problem. And every guy out there listening knows this. If you are having struggling with drugs or gambling, we'll get back to that in a minute. um, You know you're addicted. You know, there's a honeymoon phase in drug use, six months or a year. It's wonderful. I actually believe when I was in college and started snorting cocaine, that if all the world leaders sat around a table and did cocaine, we'd have world peace because I had such clarity. You know, I said, if everybody just did this, holy cow. But very quickly, very quickly, it becomes the enemy and turns on you and you go to paranoia and other things. So gambling was a part of my lifestyle too growing up. At 16, I went to the racetrack for the first time. And uh, Yonkers Raceway, I grew up in Yonkers, and uh, I had a $2 win bet. And my father took me $2 win bet on a horse who came in second, and, and I lost a bet. But I said, let me get this right. You mean if I had just bet the other horse, I would have won 14 bucks? He said, yeah, I was hooked since then, and I, I, I gambled very heavily horses, sports betting. I said, why should I go for one out of eight in a horse race? Let me pick one out of two in sports. And, you know, I, I had some good runs, but like anything else, I, I got slaughtered. It was an addiction. There's no question about it. and you know, what happened to me is spiritually and emotionally, I felt myself just just dying. I felt that Satan actually had me at one point in the height of my drug addiction. I remember thinking that Satan had me, that, that he had me gripped in like a rat trap. It was a feeling like you're in a rat trap and you're caught. And I knew I was over the line. And I always thought that I, I, I could, you know, stop and get back to ground zero and neutralize. But there came one point, one time I talk about that in the book where I realized that uh, this time I was over the line and uh, I couldn't get back as quickly as I wanted to. So I'm not going to tell you, I tell everybody who's, you know, using drugs. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be good in the beginning. You're going to like them, Um, you know, but, but they're like the, like the criminal who opens up his car to a young kid and says, here, eat this candy. Here's these toys and candy. Yeah. Then I've captured you. Then I got you. And and now you're finished. And you know, the devastation that I've seen drugs and alcohol and gambling do to people's lives, futures, hopes, dreams, their families. um, It it just, it's just the opposite of Jeremiah 29, 11. It's the devil's verse of how he can destroy dreams, hope and future. So for me, um, I wish I didn't have to waste 10 years of my life on drug addiction. And I still accomplish stuff professionally. And I asked God one day, I said, God, you know, why did I have to suffer through 10 years of this? And God spoke to me in the spirit, not audibly, but but very loudly in my spirit. And he, he gave me Second Corinthians 1, where he said, the comfort you've received from God is the comfort you're to give others. So mm. Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for our good. It wasn't God's decision that I make poor choices and become a drug addict and gambling addict. Those were my choices. And there is a consequence to sin. And, and, you know, I experienced that firsthand. Thankfully, I am free of addiction today. And there is a way out, a path out. There is hope and ways out for everybody who wants it. God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But when you are tempted, God will provide a way out. God is not a liar. There's a way out if guys want it. And uh, thankfully, and just the last part of that story. So at 33, um, three years, you know, I'm, I'm still doing my addiction. I'm in the height of my Percocet addiction. And, uh, you know, I had started just taking them after work. And, and then, you know, at night after work, then I started at two o'clock in the afternoon and then five and eight and 10, then at noon, five, then at 10, then I had to get up in the morning and take them. And here's the fascinating part, guys, is um, two years before I recovered, I wanted to recover and stop. And had I known how easy it was to go through detox, I, I would have done it earlier, but I was scared of what the withdrawal was going to be. I didn't really know anything about it. And so I held off. And two years later, I finally did go in and the detox process was, you know, easier than I thought. And I was on the way and, you know, glory be to God that he, that he gave me a way out. Um, there's a lot well, more, you know, pitfalls along the way, but I don't want to take up all our time talking about my <laughs> life. I want to talk about how we can impact the guys and get them on the path to recovery and a better walk with God. 
Well, I, I appreciate that, man. You know, when you quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you left out three words from that passage that I think are super appropriate for our, our interview today. And those are the words, and God is faithful. Amen. And, and, you know, and God is faithful. And, and what you said about Romans 8, 28, I, I, I resonate with that because what we tell guys is, guys, be encouraged. God can turn your current mess into your message based on God's word. And so really do appreciate that. I want to jump into a couple phrases. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you into a rapid fire round. Beautiful. And so being from New York, I'm sure you're going to hit this out of the park. <laughs> I've pulled five phrases out of your book, My Addict, Your Addict. Yep. And I just want you to explain what these phrases mean in, in the context of addiction. Okay? okay. On page 25, you use the phrase like a hurricane. What does that mean? You're just overwhelmed. You're blown away. You're standing there. You thought you had your foundation secure, but the hurricane came and there was nothing left. Devastation, destruction, loss of property, loss of life. Just just devastating. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, every part of your life devastated. I appreciate that. And along the lines of addiction being like a hurricane, on page 57, you said addiction was, quote, the great equalizer. Explain that. Oh my gosh, it, 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 it applies to everybody. It cuts across every demographic, geographic, psychographic profile you can imagine. It's bus drivers, wives, businessmen, poor, rich. It, it doesn't matter who you are. And I learned this when, when I got into the rooms at Gamblers Anonymous. I went to Gamblers Anonymous. I remember going to my brother uh, in New York and I, he was four years old. I said, Mike, I have a gambling problem. And he said, no, you don't. And, and I said, no, 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 yes, I do. And, and I said, and by the way, this is my one call to you. If you don't help me now, I'm never talking to anybody about this again. I knew. And it took a lot for me to confess this to my brother, a lot. And being the loving brother that he was, he, he found a, a GA room in New York. He brought me to the door on 32nd Street that day. He said, do you want me to come in with you? I said, no, 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 I'm okay. I went in. And, and here's what I learned. I looked around that table. And, man, you know, the, the devastation and destruction. But the amazing part was each of us got there a different way. For one guy, it was sports yeah. betting. Another guy was horse. Another guy, poker, high lie. One guy, it was machines in the bar. But all of us were in the same place spiritually. All our lives had been destroyed. So it doesn't matter how much drugs you use, when you use them. You call yourself a binge drinker. People say, I don't have a problem. I say, listen, I believe you don't have a problem. Stop for 90 days. Seriously, just <laughs> prove it. As a matter of fact, just 30 days. The truth of the matter is you couldn't stop for two weeks, much less two days. And you know it. Well, you talked, you just mentioned the devastation of destruction. And on page 72 of your book, you talked about, you said this phrase, and I thought it was really, really important for us to hear. And here's the phrase, if you want help, there is help. Talk to us. Jim, that's the bottom line. Um, there's a way out that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's multiple ways to recover from addiction. Um, I equate it to, you know, if you say you want to go to New York and I say, get on the plane and you say, I won't fly. And I say, will you take Amtrak? Will you take the train? No, I won't get on the train. Will you take the Greyhound bus? No, I won't take a bus. Will you drive? No. Will you hitchhike? No. Will you walk? Will you go on camel? You're going horseback. There's multiple ways to get there. Some of them are much more efficient and effective than others, but all of them will get you there. So if you, you know, want help, there's a way out for you. If you're not going to take one of the ways, then don't tell me you don't want help. There was a point in my life where I didn't want help and I wasn't ready for it. There's a point in my life I wasn't ready to accept Jesus Christ. No matter what you would have said to me until God took the scales off my eyes till I could see, was I ready? So I get it. What I try to do, Jim, and how I try and help people is, look, let me lay the path out for you and tell you what's going to happen. You may not believe me today, but as I tell you how your life is going to shake out, maybe you'll start to see some of those steps happen and, and you'll see two or three of them and go, maybe I don't have to go all the way down and, and wind up in jail or dead or lose everything. And maybe I will choose to stop. And many, many people uh, do that and do choose to stop. But there's a way out. There's hope. And what I learned is we can never give up on anyone. I once went to jail to visit a friend of mine's son uh, from church. And the guy was about 30 years old. And, and uh, my friend was an older guy. And I go to meet the kid in church. And uh, I sit to him. We're behind the plexiglass with the phone. And I'm talking to him. And this was the hardest man I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this guy was just a criminal. He was tough as nails. He didn't want any part of the gospel. He didn't want any part of recovery. Um, he just, you know, didn't want any part of it. And I sat with him for 30 minutes and talked to him. And I looked at the, you know, left the jail. And I thought, this guy has no shot. 
He's absolutely mm. has no chance of recovery. He's the hardest guy ever. And I watched God do a miracle in that kid's life when he got out of jail. He got married with twins, regained his life. My buddy, Kerry Turner. And uh, God taught me a lesson. He said, Jack, you are never to give up on anyone. You are not the judge of anyone. I am God. I am in control. And there is hope for everybody. That is so encouraging because from an outside perspective looking into a life, it's really easy to go, that guy's going to be a loser forever. And th- the truth of the matter is, Jack, that a lot of guys listening to this podcast right now are not addicts, but they have someone they love who is. On page 129 of your book, you talked about a truth that I want to address. The truth is a lot of our guys listening aren't addicts, but they love an addict. It could be a son. It could be a wife. It could be a, f- a family member. It could be a friend. On page 129 of your book, you said this, and I want you to unpack this. Your loved one's addiction is not your fault. Exactly. And and this is from a a parent's perspective. Um, Think think of this. Um, You know, I I have friends who are wonderful, wonderful parents, and some of them have crappy kids. And I have, and I know people who had crappy parents, and they're wonderful people. So is it the parent's fault, how they turned out in their life? I mean, yeah, they have some impact on them, but clearly it's not their fault. Why? Because we each, when we get to a certain age, the some at 16, 18, you know, 21, are making our own decisions and living our own life. And at some point we have decided to do the wrong thing. So, you know, it's not the parents' fault, but Satan uses this to take down the whole family. It's bad enough that we're losing the battle and, and somebody is struggling with addiction, but when it breaks the whole family dynamic and the whole family, I've had parents come to me and say, I can never be happy until my, until my son or daughter is recovered. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's ridiculous. I thought God is our joy. God is our peace. Yeah. I understand you don't like these circumstances and neither do I. We wouldn't want to lose a loved one to death or illness or anything. But at the end of the day, if God is our joy, no one can take that from us. So what you're saying, parent, is that, you know what? God is not your first priority. It, it, it's your kid. So you've placed something above God. That That's Satan taking our focus off of God. God tells us to be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And, you know, that's God's will for us. So, you know, we cannot let Satan take down families and spouses. Uh, that that loved one may never recover. So let me get this right. So you're miserable all your life. So there's no joy yeah. in your life. So uh, a spouse dies and somebody says, I can't live without him. But God gave you that spouse as a gift. That Of course you can. God has a mission and purpose for you. Uh, so it's it's a perspective. Jim and Dale, everything I believe is perspective. The analogy I like to use with people is, you know, I take you to Disney or a Springsteen concert, the greatest place in the world, and, and or you're at Disney and you say, oh, this is the greatest, you took me there. And, and I tell you, hey, the park's closing in an hour. You have two ways to respond. You can say, I can't believe you brought me here. You're like an idiot. Why would you bring me to the best place and only give me an hour? Or you could jump out of the car and go, okay, great. Let me ride as many rides as possible in the hour that I have. And that's our lives, guys. That's our lives here on earth. God has given to us. So it's all perspective how we're going to look at it. So from the parent's perspective, we never give up hope. We never stop praying. We don't enable the kids. You know, we do draw boundaries and and a line and we love them and we let them know, as I did with, with someone who was like a son to me, we let them know that the lines of communication are always open. Now, they may choose to close the line. The kid may choose to close off the lines. But we let them know that the lines are open, that we love them, that we don't we're not cutting them out of our lives, but we're just not enabling this lifestyle. If my son came home and said, Dad, I'm a homosexual, I would say, okay, that's not something I approve of or a choice I approve that you're making. Uh, however, I want to meet your lover. You know, I, I love you, son. I might not love what you do, but I'm not cutting you out of my life based on one aspect of your behavior. But as a drug addict, I'm certainly not letting you sleep in here. I'm not letting you steal from me. I'm not letting you influence the rest of the family and kids in a negative way and destroy us. So, you know, that, that's, that's really the bottom line. But there is hope for everyone. Man, I really appreciate your perspective, Jack. I mean, you are uh, bringing the heat this morning and bringing the truth. And I, I, man, I'm excited. I think uh, you've got a lot of cool things to say to our guys. Even right now, some of the things you said, I'm like, wow, I can resonate with that as a parent. I don't have any children who have addictions, but I can sure resonate as a parent to love our kids in spite of themselves, but not enable them. So, you know, during this season, the last, you know, nine, 10 months of COVID-19, are you seeing an increased usage of substance abuse and pornography among men? Are you seeing men uh, relapsing more than normal? Give us your perspective as an addiction expert. Sure. Um, it's horrible. 
COVID-19 hurt uh, the addiction community in a lot of ways, the recovery community in, in a lot of ways. First of all, uh, drug addicts weren't able to have access to their drugs. So they started going oh. nuts and crazy. You know, the dealers weren't out there either as well. They weren't out in the nightclubs and the bars and the restaurants seeing people and friends where they'd normally get the drugs. So now they're freaking out. Wow. Also, they're confined to their houses. Remember, usually they're sleeping at the houses and going out and working and using if they have jobs and their life is outside of the house. Now they're forced, not only don't they have their drugs, but they're forced to be in home confinement where, so it's really exploding and blowing up. Now there are online recovery communities 24 seven, AA and NA has them and many other places, but a lot of addicts didn't go there. So I think it, it made it a lot worse. Um, you know, a, a lot worse for people to deal with and come to grip, grips with. Hopefully it drove some into recovery, but I think a, a lot of times, a lot of families are in denial and people are in denial. And um, this time there was no way out of it and, and no denial. So I think it was a crisis um, for the recovery community. I think they responded as well as they could online, but individually, you know, it, it's damaging. I mean, imagine, you know, uh, drug addiction is all about isolation. It's all about escapism. When, when I did drugs, it was the one place and gambled. You couldn't touch me. Even though I knew it was wrong, I knew it was bad for me. I went there as an escape. What I was escaping from are, you know, my own psychological stuff. Although all of us as addicts have the same traits. When I went into recovery and I started talking to the counselor, the counselor was telling me secret things about my life. I thought nobody ever knew. And I looked at him and I said, how could you know these things about me? And he laughed lovingly and he said, all addicts are the same. He didn't mean it meanly. He meant we all have traits of, of isolation and, and, and low self-esteem. And, you know, once the addiction takes over, and, and guys, I want you to hear this out there who are listening, you men in the arena, this is important. Once the addiction takes over, it, it's, it's like the flu, man. You don't want to feel crappy. But once you got the flu, you feel crappy. You got it. Then the addiction's in control. And all it wants to do is get to the next drug and the next high, and it will lie, cheat, and steal and turn you into a person that nobody can believe you ever were. And, and, and this is the person you are now. You know it's happening, but there's nothing you can do about it because the addiction is in control. It is driving your thoughts consciously and subconsciously. And, you know, that that is a tragic part of it. I love the Bruce Springsteen line where he says, it's a sad man, my friend, who's living in his own skin and can't stand the company. And I truly think that's oh. the place of every addict, you know, who is going through this, um, you know, it's just tragic. So the good news is we're coming out of COVID-19. The bad news was that the drug dealers today with Instagram and and the phone, they'll deliver. I I mean, my my 18-year-old son, you know, I I see on Instagram, he's got guys and, you know, we've talked about um, using pot and drugs and I wish he wouldn't, but he is experimenting. And he knows he knows that my wife is a recovering a- uh, alcoholic. She hasn't had a drink in 30 years. He knows my history. So I say to him, son, genetically, you know, you're predisposed to this, you know. So he Googles it and he goes, well, it's only 15% more. You know, it's not 100%. I said, yeah, but I'm telling you, and, and guys, it reminded me of the gospel. You know, you're sharing the truth. I've gone down this road. I've walked down this road. I'm telling you what I see. And you're telling me you don't believe me. And, and, I, and God gave me a little glimpse. And he said, now you know how I feel. <laughs> When, when people don't respond to the gospel and everything I've laid out for their blessing. And well, and, and the fact that he said it's only 15%, that scares me because that yeah. tells me, you know, here's the line, the line, if you cross the line, you're an addict, but human nature is to get as close to the line as we can right. instead of running as far away from it as we can. And so when I hear somebody say, oh, 15%, I, I see somebody, again, 18 years old, right? Creeping yes. as close as he can. We did, We all did this, right? as close as he could to the line. And that's a, that's a scary place to be, man. <laughs> and, and Jim, I did the same thing. I mean, my dad laid out yeah. for me you know, he, gambling and, and what would happen. And, and he told me, and I still stuck my hand in the fire. I mean, how stupid could you be? Um, well, it's human nature. And, and hopefully, you know, uh, he doesn't go too far. Uh, I hope he won't, but you know, very yeah. well. He, he may. It's an individual choice. Well, as John Wayne, the great theologian once said, <laughs> If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. <laughs> but hey, that. that leads me to something that leads me to something else here. Uh you you had, you're talking about this uh season of COVID-19 right. and how devastating it is and you use the word uh numerous times you use the phrase it is a lot worse. Can by by defining it as a lot worse are yep. you talking about crime, domestic abuse, violence? What are you what are the manifestations of it being a lot worse? 
Well, well, all of it. In other words, you know, your life is going to get a lot worse. Um, today, I think that the, the acceleration of what's available is, is a lot worse. I mean, with the meth, with the opioid crisis, although it wouldn't matter if it wasn't opioids, it'd be something else. But but the fentanyl yeah. was killing, you know, people. I mean, a guy locally here, his son went through a line of cocaine and died the other day because it was laced wow. with fentanyl. Oh. The gambling, you know, when I was a kid and when I say kid in college and stuff. So you go to the track, you lose your money. You come home, you got your butt kicked, you go to the track the next day, you lose your money. You know, eventually you're, you're out of money. You're not going back to track or Vegas or somewhere. With the internet and, and online gambling, this is heroin for gambling. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life is, is the sports leagues legalizing gambling. I understand why the uh, revenue, why they want the revenue. This is Satan at his finest. For, we thought he'd overtaken television with, with morality and, and the shows. Forget it. This is nothing compared to that. So, so. You know, it, it, it's worse. It, it, there's more to fight, but that's no excuse for for giving in or losing the battle. God told us in Ephesians six, we're to put on the full armor of God. And we live in Florida with his hurricanes. Nobody would board up eight of their windows and leave two of them open and think they were protected. We'd say, "You idiot!" No, of course the storm's going to come through the windows you leave open. So it, yeah. it, even with the circumstances being worse and, and the addiction being worse, um, there's still no excuse for not being able to win the battle. God tells us in James, he tells us to submit to God. But then I love the next line. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He doesn't say invite him in and you can tell him when it's time to leave and he'll go. It doesn't work like that. So there's instructions for us to God, but we don't follow them. And that's the problem. You know, I talked to him a little bit about the uh, monkey uh, experiment in college, what I had read about, and it's still famous. You guys can Google it. They gave um, monkeys in the lab, they gave them two levers to choose from, a cocaine lever and a food lever. A hundred percent of the time, they hit the cocaine lever until they died. And I think yeah. that we look at life and sin that way and addiction that way. We think, well, look, God, I see you. You're over here. I see the God lever. Here's the sin lever, the drug lever, but drug lever. I'm going to use the drug lever. Um, and when I need you, God, you're over here. I, I know your lever's over here. But you know what? Then you keep it in the sin lever, the drug lever too many times, and you die. And the lever, the salvation was there. Uh, God's deliverance was there from addiction. God gave you tools. If, if it wasn't just deliverance from prayer, he gave you rehab and AA and NA and many tools to get better. And you never took them. And then you wonder why you're not living the abundant Christian life that God promised for every single believer. Because you're not doing what he said. You're not following instructions. Well, well you're, you're quoting John 10, 10, right? Where Jesus said, the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And they don't have life to the fullest because they've allowed the enemy to either kill, steal, or, or destroy them. But, you know, you, you made a comment here, and I think that's really powerful. I want to camp on it. I had a phone call from a guy last night who was very, very <clears throat> bitter at a family member. And the family member had done some wrongs. And as I'm talking to the guy, I said, you already know what I'm going to tell you. He goes, yeah, I do. And I said, well, what do you think it is? He says, you're telling me I need to forgive him. I go, I am. And the reason why, and this goes back to what you're saying, is that the problem with us as Christian men is not that Jesus is our salvation. The problem is that Jesus offers us the freedom to live as free men and to live life to the fullest but we choose the addiction lever. And, and that's the problem. So and everything you do, and w- which is why I'm so thankful for your ministry, is that your job, your, your desire is to make people free. In fact, yeah. you actually have a, a curriculum called Free for Life at Last. Yeah. So he, but before I jump into the curriculum, I have yeah. one question that we need to really address this. Sure. There are a lot of guys driving right now going, well, hey, man, I only look at porn two days, two times a week, or I only only get drunk on the weekends or, you know, in Oregon, meth in Oregon, meth is legal now. Marijuana is oh legal. Psychedelic mushrooms are legal. So there are guys going, hey, it's legal for me to use meth. Mm. So here's my question, Jack. And I think this is important because, y- you know, as an ex-addict, the mindset of an addict. At yeah. what point is, the, is a guy an addict? At what point does a guy realize, I'm an yeah. addict? What, what is that point? What is the line of demarcation? I think um, I think it's an internal thing when you know you can't go without it. When when you really realize in your mind that you know what I can't stop looking at this porn, 
I can't stop gambling. I can't stop using drugs, even though the evidence in my life, even though I may be in denial, I'm losing jobs, I'm losing relationships, I'm losing money, I'm losing friends, I'm losing my health. Uh, you know, I'm losing all these things, but still, uh, you know, I refuse to take blame for that. I'm blaming everybody else. It's the boss's fault, the wife's fault. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody understands me. And that's the lie of drugs. I understand you. I'm your friend. Come to me. Everybody else is hassling you. I'm the one to give you comfort. That's the big lie of drugs. So you, you know, you have this realization, you make this realization, but it's not about illegality. Alcohol is legal and, and more people have ruined their lives with alcohol than I can imagine. It's about, it's about, you know, God says we're to master our, our bodies, you know, where to make our bodies our slaves, where to tell them what to do. It's, it's the question of who you're going to serve. You're going to serve your spirit or your flesh. And of course, we all know the analogy, the one you feed um, gets stronger. Here's the example I want to give to you guys is, look, if any of you have gone to college, you remember the day you got accepted into college. That's great. Hey, I got accepted into Syracuse University today. Hey, great, Jack. What did you learn? Well, nothing. Well, well, why? Because I didn't go to any classes. Yeah, you got in. <laughs> you, you might be saved, but holy crap, if you're not going to come and speak by God's feet and, and learn and, and, and to be blessed, people think it's a freaking chore to go sit and spend time with God. God, who loves us more than anything. I got three kids. All I want to do is bless them. I want to bless the living snot out of them. Every single thing I do is for their benefit and blessing, whether they understand it or not. You know, and God talks about spiritual maturity. You know, as little kids in the crib, they can't understand 529 plan and what I'm doing for your future. But every single thing we do is for their benefit. So we get a glimpse of how much God loves us when we see how much we love our kids. We should be able to make that connection that God, you're just trying to bless me and teach me more. And all God wants is to hang with you. You know, God doesn't want your your, your actions and, and your chore and your check the box. God wants a relationship. I have three kids. My biggest nightmare would be to be cut out of their lives, would be they did something that they thought was so bad, stole a car or something, I'd be so mad at them, that they moved to California and never talked to me again because they were so, so ashamed or guilty. No, I, I don't wish you did that thing, but I love you, son, no matter what you do. And I'm here behind you no matter what you do. You may limit my ability to bless you by your actions when when yes. the kid I loved as a son was in jail, um, not my youngest, and, and he was in jail. All I could do to bless him was put $50 in his, in his uh, jail account. I had tons of resources. We had bought him cars and everything in this. And all, and, and all I could do, because his actions had interrupted my ability to bless him, but Jim and Dale, they never interrupted my, my ability to love him. I loved him 100% no matter what he did. And that's how God feels about you guys. And God is there ready to, to love you and forgive you. This is the amazing part, Jim. God says that his mercies are new every morning. His compassion fails not. He says as far as the east is from the west, he'll remember our sins no more. Yet we remember them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We are our own worst enemies. We're beating the crap out of ourselves for our failures. And instead of, you know, saying, hey, I'm walking and I'm God's kid. And it's like a football player who fumbles. I mean, you're a star football player for 20 years. We get the fact that in the game, you're going to make a fumble and you're going to lose a game. We're judging your career and your year, not one play, but addicts. And, and Satan uses this as a tool. Shame and, and, and condemnation. God says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And Satan says, yes, there is. And you need to condemn yourself. Look what you did. You fall short. You disappointed God. You disappointed your family. You're a failure or a loser. And that's the lie of Satan. That's the lie of addiction. And God has come to set us free from that. We know the, the, the line, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But just like going to college and going to the classes, man, you got to be willing. And, and you got to be, you got to embrace that life of recovery. I equate it to being traded. You know, you played for the, the Red Sox and you get traded to the Yankees where you don't go to Fenway Park anymore. You know, when you become a Christian, you're supposed to, you know, put on this new uniform. You're supposed to play for Jesus now. And you're supposed to, you know, live that that life. And, and it has benefits and abundance. And, and I can tell you 30 years later, you know, my life has been so much better without drugs. Um, I, I just thank God, uh, you know, I, I, I can see this side of it. Thank you, God, for letting me live to see this side of it. Well, and I think that's the struggle with guys who are struggling with addiction. We had a guy on our forum just posted about a temptation. It appeared that the temptation was lust. Well, every guy in the room struggles with lust. And so I encouraged him by saying, listen, it's been 55 years for me uh, battling that. And we continue to battle, even if it's two steps forward and one step back. And what happens with guys is they say, well, I'm never going to get through this. Well, yeah, yeah, you will. You know, and, and the other thing to think about is that sometimes 
the very fact that we're willing to battle tells us that we're following Jesus. Because like you said, the things that we celebrated when we were younger are the things we battle to find freedom over as we're older. And well, so there's a powerful principle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, go for it. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, regarding lust and pornography, you know, here's the problem, guys. Um, and, and remember, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his side and God said, my grace is sufficient. You may always have the desire uh, to do lust. I still have the desire to do drugs. I have friends who have had deliverance from drugs like a light switch. They used to want to do it and the urge is gone. And, and not me. I would do drugs today if there were no downside. But you, I've never lost the urge to do drugs. And the problem with pornography, guys, is that um, if you're married, your, your wife can never compete. She can never compete with a fantasy. So she'll never be good enough. So you've destroyed your marriage. So I'm not saying, you know, I don't consider it uh, a failure of mine to have a desire to do drugs. I'm human. My dog wags her tail because she's a dog. I am not God. I am a human being. I, I you know, flesh and, and, and I'm born with sin in me. I get it. But God has given me victory and the tools to victory. So I have a choice to make. And here's the way I look at it now in my life. When I have this desire to do drugs, I have a board of directors meeting. And in the board of directors meeting is me, God, and Satan. And we're at the table. And Satan says, Jack, you should use drugs again. He said, you know, you, you've been clean 30 years. You can do a little bit. You deserve it. You'll relax. You'll never go back to the place you were. Surely you can. And by the way, Jack, even if you screw up, didn't your God say he forgives you? All you have to do is confess your sin and he forgives you. So where's the downside? You should definitely do this again. And God, of course, and I don't mean audibly, but, you know, this is how I see it. God, of course, says, well, Jack, you know better. You shouldn't do drugs again. And then we vote. And 100% of the time, the vote is two nothing to not do drugs. You see, because there's three of us at the table. And Satan has a voice in my life. I can't stop him from speaking, but he no longer has a vote in my life. Only God and I vote. So this is a ridiculous excuse that, oh, I'm born this way and I have these feelings and that allows me to do what I want. So if I'm angry, I should just beat the crap out of everybody because I was born with anger? No, I I should be controlling that and I should be in control of that. It doesn't mean it will go away. And, And I pray that God delivers you and God can deliver you from addiction. And I pray that you would pray with us before the end that God would deliver you. And I have seen God deliver people supernaturally on the spot from addiction. But he doesn't deliver everybody that way. Some of us, he uses rehab centers and AA or NA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, or GA, Gamblers Anonymous. Other people, it's Faith Farm and Teen Challenge or Celebrate Recovery or Individual Therapy or Outpatient. But there's so many ways to recovery. But if you're not willing to choose one and walk down the path, then what you're saying is, you know, you, you don't want recovery. Then, then you, you don't want recovery. Uh, so well, it's, just- it's interesting. Er- earlier in the podcast, you talked about a conversation you had with your brother and you you said something that you just mentioned earlier when you said you'd confess to God. To your brother, you said, quote, it took a lot to confess to my brother. And what what where is the power in confession? Where do you see that such a powerful thing oh, in confession? It, first of all, it took a lot because of pride and embarrassment and, and labeling. You know, I didn't want to be labeled uh, an addict or, or a loser, you know, the rest of my life. And here's somebody I was going to be involved with the rest of my life, my brother, who I loved and respected. But you know what? It was just too overwhelming. Uh, you know, I just needed a way out. And at some point it became worth it. Um, the, the, the joy in the confession, the freedom, um, the feeling that I, I was like out of the closet kind of. That, that somebody else knew I wasn't alone anymore. You know, we addicts, we internalize everything. We keep everything inside. And, and you know, this is the key to addiction, guys, is, um, you know, when we are little babies, um, we develop defense mechanisms that help us cope with pain and, and problems. And, you know, it's a good idea for a baby to wear a diaper as a little baby but not such a good idea for a 14-year-old, a 24-year-old, a 34-year-old. Good idea to have training tricycle wheels on as a little baby, but not such a good idea, you know, at 30, 40, and 50. So what you learn in recovery is you learn about yourself, why you do drugs. The drugs are a symptom. The drugs aren't your problem. The gambling and the porn, that's not your problem. The problem is the issue that's making you go to these things as an escape. The psychological subconscious things, the avoidance of pain, uh, uh, maybe it's a legitimate trauma. Maybe you were abused as a kid. Maybe you just thought that you weren't loved or you weren't good enough. I mean, it can be so subtle. And when you bring these things out in therapy and you understand them, you shine the light on the darkness and then you're able to see. And for me, it was just like, oh, man. 
you know, that was really no big deal. And I was dealing with this because nobody ever told me, hey, it's time to take off the training wheels and ride the bike or take these diapers off. And these are emotional things. It's, it's everybody goes through this. Everybody. So it's not, not a failure. It doesn't make you weak. It's a great thing. And once you have this truth and knowledge, it's power. God talks about in Proverbs, the first 10 chapters of Proverbs, knowledge and wisdom. It's power. That's how you have victory. It's not enough to stop using drugs. I mean, that would be a good thing, but you can go to NA and AA and follow those programs and stop using drugs and still be miserable and, and, and horrible because you would be what we call a dry drunk. Oh, you stopped yeah. using but you never got to the core of your issues and therefore you're still miserable and angry. And now you don't have the drugs to calm you down and make you even a half decent guy. <laughs> so, you know, that's not the answer. The answer is to get to the core of the issues up to, up to the why. And that help is available for everybody, everyone. And that knowledge will be the most freeing, unbelievable thing. What you choose to do with it is up to you. What I say to people is, look, when you go into rehab, you're not signing a life contract that you'll never use drugs again. I said, go, you know, use drugs again if you want. But as the rehab counselor said to me, I challenge you to climb to the top of the mountain, look down and tell me what you don't like. You don't like what you see. I have a lot of respect for that, but I have no respect for you if you won't go look. So why wouldn't you go learn about yourself, who you are and what you are? And then you do what you want with that information. You know, for me, it was easy to, to decide I want the lifestyle of recovery. I don't want to live in this prison, in this hell anymore. And that's what it is. It's prison and it's hell. And you know it, whether it's pornography, gambling, alcohol, drugs, you know, it's not where you want to be. And, and it is ruining, you know, every aspect of your life, whether it, publicly we can see that or not, you know the truth. And God has given you a way out. There's ways out, but you got to choose it. Bob Dylan said, you can have the truth, but you must choose it. Gosh, Jack, this has been so powerful. Uh, uh, your one hour interview, I'm going to ask you something, man. Is it okay if we bring you back on next week and have you explain and talk to us about your new book, Addiction and Recovery, the Addiction and Recovery Handbook? That way we can kind of walk through the steps and uh, and let you unpack that book fully. Uh, is that something you'd be open to? Oh, brother, I, I would love that opportunity. Thank you for thinking of me. I, I would just love that so much. It feels like our arrow went by so quick and there's so much more to share. <laughs> and uh, thank you for that. It would be my privilege. If you would have me, I'm there. Well, you get a Portuguese from the Azores and a, a Floridian from Yonkers going, it, it can go pretty fast, man. <laughs> the truth. Hey, Absolutely. hey, I'm going to ask you to do something. Guys, what are you going to do about today's podcast? Let's get our boots on the ground. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, guys. Just like Jack did the hard thing and confessed to his brother, if you have identified from this podcast that you have relapsed into an addiction or you have discovered, man, I think I'm an addict, I want you to muster all the courage you can, and I want you to go to the most important person in your life. It probably is your wife. If you're married, it better be. I want you to confess your sin to her. Amen. I want you to do it. And I want you to start the process of recovery. Jack, I'm going to ask you to do something I've never had a guest do on this show before. I want you to pray for that man right now who's driving to work, who just realized he's an addict and he needs to confess to his wife Excellent. or to his pastor or to his yeah. best friend. I want you to pray over that man that he would have the courage to do so. Will you do that for us? That would be my honor. Let's do that. Dear Lord. Father, we love you so much, Lord, and thank you for the life you've given us, this opportunity to live here on earth, Lord. And you said that you have a plan and purpose for our life, Lord. And you said in Jeremiah 29, 11, your purpose is to give us a hope and a future, not to harm us, but to bless us. And Lord, we know you're not a liar. You said you're with us always. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You said all things work together for our good. And Father, we love you and trust you. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, you would speak to the hearts of every man today, those that are struggling, and encourage them and give them the courage, Lord, to confess, first of all, to you and ask you for deliverance and help. And then to that loved one in their life and also in their confession, ask for help. Ask for guidance. Lord, let us not be scared. Satan wants to keep us in darkness and to keep us isolated and have our thoughts and feelings inside. And we think we'll be ashamed and judged. But Father, I pray for the men and men listening to this today, that when they confess, when they move ahead, Holy Spirit, as you direct them, that their confession would be met with love and compassion and grace and mercy and help. But even if for any reason, the people do not respond that way, Lord, we know that you respond that way, that you love us and that you're with us and we have nothing to fear, Father. So, Father, give these guys courage today to take that first step 
with you. That first step, like the prodigal son who was out lost and, and when he was away from the father, realized that he had lost everything. Lord, just one step back is all you ask. And then just like the prodigal son, the father, he'll come running towards you. He'll embrace us and hug us. You never wanted us to be apart from you. You always wanted us to come too close to you. You promised, Lord, in James, that if we come closer to you, you'll come closer to us. That's a promise. So, Father, I pray that each man would know that you are the source of our life, of our mm. joy. You said that your peace, which transcends all understanding, we only get from you. So, Lord, as my brothers are struggling and fearful and doubtful, I pray today, Lord, that you would give them strength and courage, that you would remind them that you promised whom the sun sets free is free indeed, and there is freedom, and it is only in you, Lord. You said you're the way, the truth, the life. Mm -hmm. The only way to heaven is through you. It's amazing to me that we'd accept you for our salvation, but not for our deliverance from addiction. How absurd. Mm. Lord, you are the God of everything. So bless my brothers today. Give them courage today, Lord, to make this the day that that their birthday, that they would know this was the new day, Independence Day today, December 10th, 2020, the day that they truly surrendered to the Lord in all things. We love you and praise you, Father. Bless my brothers. Give them courage and confidence. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And Jim. Amen. Hey, one more thing, if you can still hear me. Uh, my picture's yes. gone. Can you still hear me? Um, if the guys want, if they go to jackallenlevine.com forward slash free. jackallenlevine.com slash free addiction book. Guys, if you go there, we will get you a copy of Jack's book. And I'd love to get you plugged in here. Make sure you guys tune in next week. It's going to be powerful. Jack, thanks so much for coming on our show today, man. God bless you. Look forward to hearing from you next week. Dale, take us home, brother. Yeah, guys, head on over to meninthearena.org and pick up your free digital version of the Field Guide. It's a daily read for men, and this will be coming down soon, so get that now as soon as possible. Also, send us your stories of how God is moving in your life through the ministry of Men in the Arena, and send those to info at meninthearena.org. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor, hear the deafening roar of the crowd, taste the sweetness of victory. Spell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.